We are in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1. I told the group yesterday where I was teaching that I kind of skated through Galatians. I didn't get too many hits personally, but I am not skating through Ephesians. I'm getting beat up. I don't, none of the rest of you, huh? You're just skating through? All right, fine, whatever. But there is so much. Remembering that the first part of Ephesians was a, was a focus on some theological matters, but by the time he gets to chapter 4, he's now becoming very practical, very very down to earth. And in our section in chapter 5, he's going to keep that, that pattern up. I, I wanted I wanted to get our minds thinking about what's going to go on here uh, in chapter five by thinking of a verse actually that I think most of you have memorized in Psalm one nineteen verse number one o five. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a light and a lamp. Um, I was thinking about that in reference to uh, camping or RVing. I don't, I don't like camping. I don't like sleeping on the ground. But I do love getting in my RV and going out somewhere. And when I first started doing that years ago, I thought, well, I need to invest in some good flashlights. So I bought some really good flashlights. And they work. But the problem is when you use them, they pretty much you know, are a, a, a kind of spotlight. They're like right where you, where you aim them. You got good light, but anything around is is not it's not very helpful. So I realized I had to have two. I had, I needed a spot or a spotlight, a flashlight, and I needed a lantern that I could sit in the middle of the picnic table and it and it broadened out over a, a larger space. God's word is like that. Sometimes you need it like a like a like a spotlight. It just right on that issue of your heart. And other times it's just a a, a general direction giver, a general oh it's safe here. But it's his word that gives us that. And so when we dive into Ephesians chapter 1, we're going we're gonna to take that as the background, the thought, because we're walking in light. Remember, we use sit, walk, and stand as the three words to encapsulate the book of Ephesians. We sat in God's theology, in the, in the truth about him. We settled in. We got it. And now we're up walking. And in order to walk, we need both the spotlight and, and the broader light of, of the lantern. So in in chapter 5, verse number 1, he says this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Now, I'm going to pause for a second because this is a good example. You'll notice that where the 5 is in your Bible, it kind of kind of, you know, adds into verse 32 of chapter 4, and then chapter 5, verse number 1 starts with follow, and then when you get to the word children, it, it throws another 2 up there telling you, now here comes the next verse. I just want to make sure you know that the, the verse designations, they were added. That is not God's plan. In fact, the truth of the matter is this is a letter. It wasn't divided up into sections. We've artificially done it. One of the, one of the stories about how verse designations happen was some monk was, was riding on the back of a donkey. He was going to go into a church and, and teach and preach, and he, and he recognized they were, they were never going to find it you know, the, the verse that he wanted. And so he took his Bible and literally wrote, there, that's one, that's two, that's three, that's four, as a, as a reference point. So when you see it, remember that it all merges together. Verse 32 of, of chapter 4 starts with, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Then he goes on, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Follow God's example. 
The Greek word there is imitate or, or mimic. It's the idea that we look and see what Christ is like, what his model is like, how he lived his life, and we say, yep, that's how we want to live ours. We mimic, we, we imitate Christ. Um, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 11 and asks them to follow his example as he follows the example of Christ. Now, I've never been able to do that. I am way too schnooky to ask people to follow my example. I'll give you a classic illustration. This is my latest funny. So on uh, Sunday after church, we were headed home. By the way, church at, at, at Coast Hills was amazing. Probably the top one, two, three services I've ever been to in my entire life. If you do not have a good church home, I suggest you come join us because it's unbelievable. But anyway, there were over 50-some-odd people baptized. Uh, the choir sang for a total of about three hours to accommodate all of the baptisms. The place went bonkers. And so, anyway, but on the way home from that, Schnooky Sherry got involved. So I decided to stop at uh, Del Taco Del Taco to get a salad. So I'm pulling into the to the whatever uh, lane to go around and, and get my, my, my salad. And I, there was something on my phone. Somebody was dinging me. And so I looked in my rearview mirror. There was nobody behind me. I looked down at my phone to see what the whatever was. While I looked down, some little car schnooked around me. Not that word. Schnooked around me and cut me off. I, I'm in the la- line going around the, the whatever. He got by me. How? I don't know. But he got by me and jumped in front. So I'm sitting there, patient person that I am, conniving of ways to get back at this guy, and it dawned on me something hilarious, and I started laughing. Barb was in the car with me. She goes, what is so funny? I said, wait, wait for it, wait for it. So when I pulled up to the window, now he's halfway around, he's got a car in front of him. The lady asked my order. I ordered my salad, and they said, and by the way, I want to pay for the order in the car in front of me. I said, it's a little white Fiesta. It's right in front of me. Just, I'm going to pay for his, whatever they ordered. And I laughed my full head off, sitting there, waiting until we pulled up. I pulled my window down just so I could listen to it. Notice the crustiness of my heart. <laughs> And the lady stuck her head out and goes, blah, 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 and points to the car behind. And you can see him turn to the girl next to him. I am dying laughing. Now, I, I confess, there is a verse in the Bible that talks about heaping coals on people's heads that do bad things to you. That's what I was doing. We were having a coal fest in Del Taco. So, lest you try to follow me as an example, I'm showing you how schnooky I can really be. Anyway, Paul says, though, find some folks you can Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, he says, Imitate those who show faith and patience. And patience is not me, but show patience, show faith. Yes, follow his example. It's the first thing he's demanding as a kind of a command in this passage. Follow God's example. Be an imitator. When, when someone will say to me, Gee, I don't know how to live the Christian life. My answer is read the Gospels and do what he did. It's really not that hard. It's hard to do but it's not hard to understand. God's saying, hey, I want you to follow my example. Now, I was, I was doing a little reading about this, and, and I realized, uh, after having done this study, that apparently at the Louvre uh, in Paris, the famous art museum, uh, they have a policy, and they've had it since the middle 1700s, that if you were a budding artist, you get to come in and sit and copy the masters. And so there were stories about uh, artists who have spent 
you know, 20, 30 years of their life sitting in front of the, the, the paintings in the Louvre, uh, copying them and how it enhanced and encouraged and, and developed their own skill by, by being able to sit there and, and copy the masters. Well, that's what we're encouraged to do. That's what Paul's saying here. Get the, get the face of Jesus in your life. Get, get God's word as a prominent part of, of your family, of your personal life. See how he did life and follow that example. And, as, and like I told a young woman last night who was concerned about some sin in her life, I said, you know, there is no doubt that sin is a part of all of our lives. The issue is how quick it takes us to repent. The issue is do we, do we with reckless abandon just keep doing it or do we recognize that it not only hurts our testimony but it hurts the heart of God for us to, to, to in a ridiculous way, discontinue in our sin. So imitate, follow God's example. That's his first command. The second one happens in verse number two. Paul says here, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Exactly what we just sang. That, that he was the, the flower that was trampled and he did it for us. So we are to walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. How do we, how do, we do that? He says, okay, I've got three things for you. And these three things are so important, there shouldn't even be a hint. It shouldn't be even mentioned among you, these three things. Look at verse number three. But among you, there must not be even a hint of, first one, sexual immorality. Second one, any kind of impurity. Or third one, greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Sexual immorality, any kind of impurity, and greed. If you were looking for three words to encapsulate our culture, would those three not work? Sexual immorality, the word that's used here, is not the word for... Uh, just two people hooking up and having having sex. That would be fornication if they were not married. It's not. He doesn't use the word for adultery, which is a married person having sex outside of their of their marriage. He doesn't use the word for homosexuality here. He doesn't use the word for sexual perversion. He uses the word pornea, from which we get what pornography. He's using a word that's an all encompassing uh, kind of word. To, to, to cover all kinds of sexual sin. The idea that sex would be perverted in any direction, it, it doesn't matter. We in our culture make a real big deal out of one kind of perversion, but the truth of the matter is, Paul's making it clear, all of it falls into this category, and there's not supposed to even be a hint of it in the house of God, in the people of God. Um, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go back a couple of pages, 1 Corinthians 6. And, and there's an antidote for this immorality, sexual immorality. In chapter 6, verse number 18, there is a one-word instruction. What is that one word? Flee. He does not say, when temptation overcomes you, to stop and pray about it. Excuse me just a minute, sir. I need to pray. No. He doesn't say when you're flipping through your, your accounts online and you hit some pornography, you should stop and call a friend and ask whether you should do it or not. <laughs> Lifeline, call a friend. Hey, having a little trouble with. What does he say? Flee. And that word flee is in the present continuous imperative command. The idea is flee and keep on fleeing till the danger is past. 
Just keep going. Don't stop. Don't dabble. Don't put it away and say, okay, it's gone. It's never to come back out again. It's available if I needed it. No, it's gone. Flee. Sexual immorality is such a thing that it can't be dabbled with. It can't be played with. It can't be dealt with lightly. You got to flee. You got you to gotta do like Joseph did when Potiphar's wife was trying to you know, con him into some sexual immorality. What did he do? He boogied. And so much so that his coat got left behind, remember? You can just picture it. I love teaching that for kids. You know, the, she grabs his coat and he just, that's it, I'm out of here. Fleeing. When temptation comes, and it does in all of our lives in all kinds of forms and ways, when we're when we, when we encountering that, the response is for us to flee. Now, sexual immorality isn't the only thing he talks about. He says, any kind of impurity... Now, impurity in this context means kind of a lustful or rich, wasteful living. Any kind of uncleanness. Any kind of stuff that makes us smell like we've been in the wrong place. Like that we've been reading the wrong thing or watching the wrong thing. Or we've allowed some influence on our life, perhaps a person or an event or an activity or something we go in and participate in. He said, this is to be avoided. You know, I, I was thinking the other night watching television. I, I don't watch any sitcoms. They don't make me laugh, so I don't, I don't watch. And, and I, I tend to watch uh, dramas. And I got a few of them that I like. And one of them was on. And our joke is, what, what moral thing are they going to shove at us tonight? And it, and, it, and it doesn't matter. Any social agenda that you and I might write down, they just work their way down that social agenda, depending on the drama. And it occurred to me, I, I wonder if I should be watching this thing. And it's not overtly bad. It's, it's not, it, it, you know, it's not significantly, the, the world would say, are you, are you wigging out, world? What's your problem? My problem is, is I don't want it in my head. So you're going, okay, that's not good, Sherry, but I only read romance novels. <laughs> so what? They didn't have sex in the 17th century? And other things associated with it? Of course they did. I mean, it doesn't really matter what the topic is, what form of entertainment. Music, the, the lyrics, maybe, maybe the, the pounding uh, of the, the music itself, that might be an issue. Maybe, maybe friendships. I've had people in my life where I've at some point had to say, you know, this is not adding to me. This is not encouraging. This is not, this is not you know, hauling me along. I, I, they're not helping me get where I want to get. So, so maybe, you know, limit, limit that exposure, limit that time, limit that opportunity. Whatever it is that's impure, that's, that's a part of a wasteful uncleanness, dump it. Maybe it has to do with, with wardrobe. Maybe it has to do with entertainment. Maybe it has to do with friendships. Maybe it has to do with stuff you do with your time. This, this is what Paul's saying. Don't let it even be hinted of in your midst. And the last one is greed. So what is greed? Greed is a desire to have anything that's more than what you need. So you say, well, I'm not a greedy person. So when that car drives by, that's that perfect one you've been thinking about for six months. What, what happens in your mind? Do you, as my father used to say, I wish I had that and they had a better one. <laughs> that, that's how my dad would get past the greed thing. I wish I had that one and that they had a better one. 
Look, greed is greed. When we're not satisfied with what we have, walk into our closets. Is there not greed as evidenced in our closets or our pantries or in our garages or anywhere else? He says, don't even let it be hinted. Instead, we're to be the people that give it away. I don't need that. You need that? You can have it. You need this coat? You can have it. I, I love this, though. But I, this is my favorite. But, but I'll, I'll give you this one. I'll wear a sweatshirt. When we live that way, it's nothing wrong with me having this and a sweatshirt unless you need one. And then i got to give it away. The touchstone of a believer or a group of believers is how generous they are. We're going get to get to that in another place in this very passage. So Paul says, okay, here are three things. Walk in the way of love. Don't even let there be a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or greed. Now, I had you in 1 Corinthians. I want you to look at uh, chapter 6 again, but we're going to start with verse number 9. 6, 9. He says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the adulterers, nor the adulterers, nor men who have had sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, uh, greedy, nor nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He says, "Wait a minute, this is not who we are." And he goes on and says, "But you know that is what some of you were, past tense, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God." If those things crop back up after you become a believer, you deal with them in the way that believers deal with sin. You fall on your face before God, you repent, you tell him it was wrong, you have no intentions to do it again, and you get somebody to help hold you accountable so it doesn't happen. Years ago, I had a friend who called me up one day and she said, Sherry, I'm having a little trouble. Accidentally, I hit a site. I was looking for something else, but it turned out to be pornography. And I have to tell you the truth, it was a little, a little interesting. And I found myself going back a couple of times. And that is not who I want to be. So will you please hold me accountable? Ask me every time you see me. I said, okay. All right. So when I saw that person, uh, you know, as time went on. So how are we doing with what our little fingers are finding online? Much better, Sherry. Thanks so much. Blocked all that stuff. Next time. How are you doing? Great. Really good. Thanks for holding me accountable. That's what we do. We don't go, oh my goodness, you're having trouble with X or Y or Z. We look at it, you go, you, you too? You too? Because it doesn't really matter what it is. The gal sitting next to you is struggling with something. And, 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 and Paul's saying, wait a minute, this is, this is not the way we walk in love. Let's go back to Ephesians because he's not finished with us. He's going to go back to our mouths again. In verse number four, he's going to say this. Nor should there be, and he lists three kinds of, of, of mouth discrepancies. There, no, there should be no obscenity, no foolish talk, or coarse, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking. All right, so obscenity. I read that and I went, all right, I, I'm, I'm going to get a pass here. Finally, I'm going to get a pass. That's not one of my deals. I, it's not, I don't have, I'm not using this language. It's not, he says, it's kind of a filthiness, a disgraceful, ugly talk. It's words, it's cursing, it's all that. Mm, I, I, I'm getting a pass. I'm feeling really good about myself. 
And then he goes to number two. Foolish talking. And I was looking up some definitions. Here they are. Jesting, polished, witty speech. I love witty speech. <laughs> what entertainment I do like is quick repartee. Bling, 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 bling. That's that. <clears throat> he said, hey, this is a form of speech we should be avoiding. And then the third one, maybe you don't get hit with that one, coarse joking. This is, this is the JK. When we say something, we go, just kidding. Didn't really mean it that way. Oh, yeah, I did. Didn't really mean it that way. It's a kind of, of, of stick it to them. It's kind of a way to, to, to pass along a little verbal abuse. Oh, I was just kidding. But you weren't really. He's saying that is to be avoided. You know, last week he got after us about our tongues. And, and the idea is just put a hand over your mouth. If it doesn't uplift, if it doesn't encourage, if it doesn't support, silence is golden. And we, 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 we this is women in general. And on the, on the flip side, what he says, instead of doing those things, what we want to make sure is to have thanksgiving. To have thanksgiving. To be a grateful people. When you pray, if the majority of your prayers are could you, would you, please do. And even if they're could you's and would you's and please do's for other people, then there's a certain selfishness to your prayer. It's, it's egocentric. It's me and mine. I'm praying for him, I'm praying for her, I'm praying for me, I'm praying for him, I'm praying for me. Right here. This is my little... God, could you please come and intervene and right here. And everywhere we go in Scripture, when it talks about prayer, Philippians chapter 4, in the context of not being anxious, let our prayer requests be known to God. What's the next phrase? With thanksgiving. When you, when you find a mature Christian and you overhear their prayers, you're going to hear much more thanksgiving than you hear anything else. The wujas and the kujas are pu pushed aside when we start remembering what he already has done. Don't you like we have new speakers in here? <laughs> so I would encourage you, when you bow your head or when you're in a season of prayer in your car or wherever you at, you're at, make sure that it is, it is predominantly the things you're grateful for. And when I do that intentionally, my wujas and kujas almost fall to the side. Oh, yeah, and I wanted to talk to you about. It's almost like they fall away. Because when I'm focused on what he's already done, what he's doing, what's happening around me, what I saw happen in that person, boy, it was great to be there. That was amazing. Thank you so much that I'm sitting in a car and not waiting for a bus today. Thank you, Lord. Da, 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 da. Pretty soon, my, my paltry little kujas, wujas, they're almost not bothering we're worth bothering uh, bringing up. So Thanksgiving. All right, now down to verse number eight. First two instructions, follow God's example. The second one, walk in the way of love. The third one is, live as children of light. Look at verse number eight. For you were once darkness, but you are, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Uh, for the fruit of light consists in all three things, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. 
have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Now, let me just pause right there, and I'll deal with verse 14 in a minute. He's contrasting darkness and light. And really what he's focusing on is that we're supposed to be the agents of light. When you walk in a room, the light bulb's supposed to turn on. When you, when you enter into a conversation with two or three friends, the light should have started illuminating. When, when you have a conversation with your children, there's a light, a light that comes on. What we're doing is we're using light to help us in our life. For an example, light helps us discriminate what is pleasing to God and what's not. Remember, I started with saying thy word is a, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When you spent time in your life immersed into God's word and it's making its way through the way you think and the way you feel and the way that you react and it's providing those guidelines and fence posts for you, then when it comes time to go, is this pleasing to God or not? It's like a, a tuned up Geiger counter. It, it rings loud. Me, 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 me. When we're not in God's word, when we've not immersed ourselves in his word, what happens is it's really on a low ebb. It's hard to have your, have your senses at, at their maximum uh, availability if you've not tuned it up. And the way you tune it up is by reading and studying and thinking and meditating and memorizing God's word. It's that stuff that bubbles back up because you just shoved it all down in there. And it helps, it dis- uh, helps us discriminate what is pleasing to God. Should I watch this? Yes or no? Eh, wouldn't be a big deal, but probably not. Eh, won't do it. Okay. What, what is pleasing to God about this relationship or this friendship or this activity? This family wants us to go with them and their family to do such and such. But I, I don't... It, uh, is that going to be... Ple- you know, there's a lot of... Uh, 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 when we've got God's word active in our hearts, it makes it much easier to make those choices. Light also exposes evil. In John 3.19, it's a, it's a verse I often use as a funny, but the first part of it says, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So when I'm in a room and they haven't turned the lights on, that's what I'll usually say, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But it is true. When the bad stuff happens in our lives, we like it hidden, literally in many cases. So light exposes evil. When, when we're walking in truth, when God's word has become that primary guideline for our lives, so it's very easy. Nope, evil. No, thank you. Oh, that one's clear. And it also light is, a, is an agent of healing. They're taking light, various uh, aspects of light, you know, the spectrums of light, and they're using it as a healing agent. They're taking germs and viruses on Petri dishes and sh- shifting them underneath those, those spotlights of that light, and, it, and it's clearing up things. It actually heals things. Well, God's Word has healed aspects of my life, attitudes of my life that, that, that had gone sideways. What, what addresses them? What adjusts them? God's Word. Whether it's I'm reading it or I hear it or I heard it in a song or someone mentioned it or I saw it in someone's life. That's what makes a difference and heals my heart. Right now, the fear that's running so amok, the answer to that fear is God's word. It's an agent of healing. There is no reason to be this panicked. Do the reasonable, rational things 
and let God do his thing. That's a message that's falling on deaf ears. But light is a healer. The second thing he says about this light is that the fruit of it, that that which results, is there is something called fruit of light. And he mentions three things, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness is that benevolence. It's a generous spirit. If you want to know how much a person is clued into God, watch how generous they are. If they're holding on to life with a clenched fist or the stuff of life, houses, cars, money, trips, whatever we spend our money on, and, and, and they got a tight fist on it, then that's a person that's struggling with the Lord. It's the person who has their hands open and says, I've been blessed. I got this. If you need it, I come over here. You need a place to stay. You need food. You need this. You need that. I had another encounter with someone just within the last two weeks. They were in my car. We passed someone that had a cardboard sign up. And normally I keep money in my car specifically for that. And I had given all of mine away and I had like three bucks left in my wallet. Very high spender here. But anyway, I had three bucks left in my wallet. And I came and I had people in the car. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I'm pulling the car over to try to, you know. And, and I could just hear the conversations, you know, starting with, you know, check out their shoes and what will that backpack? That looks like a pretty new backpack or whatever. And, and I know because I've done that tune many times. Uh, so I recognized what was going on. I said, wait, 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 wait. And I, I found my three bucks and I handed it to somebody to hand out the window. What, what ensued was a, a, a really cool conversation. And I once again got to say, look, God has done a work in my heart as it relates to this. I realized that that moment was not about them. It was not. I don't care what their tennis shoes were or their backpack or what they're going to go do with the money. That moment was about my heart. And, 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 and when there is goodness, when there is benevolence, that's a work of God's spirit. I wasn't always like that. I was a tennis shoe identifier. And, and, I, and I have told the story here that, that is the truth. I was in Korea. I was with a missionary. The kids were mobbing us, wanting all the change. And I said to him, why are you giving these kids your change? You have no idea. They probably got somebody around the corner and they're using it for, you know, I got all that logic, whatever. And the missionary said to me, it is not about them. It's about me. It's about my heart. I can't be responsible for them. They're not my job. This is my job. So when we have goodness, when there's benevolence, when there's a generosity, we're walking in light. There's some fruit to the light. The second one is righteousness. And the idea of righteousness is giving both to God and to man what is their due. When you are an encourager, when you're going out of your way to thank somebody for something, when, you, when you're a note writer, whether it's online or a real note or a phone caller or a stop by somebody's, and all you're doing is telling them thanks. I really appreciate that. That was great. Boy, you, you know, back to Sunday and, and, our, and our worship team who sang from, I guess they got there at 6 in the morning and they left something after 1 o'clock. The, one of the gals, I call her Prancer, uh, Hannah, she, her watch said she uh, walked 14,000 steps. And all she did was, was worship the Lord. The jumping and the jiving, that's why I call her Prancer. 14,000 steps. So yesterday when I was teaching over there, I made a point to stop each one of the, the, the gals that were, and guys, Gannon was there, and, and told them how much I appreciated them singing for three hours. Because it set a spiritual atmosphere or an environment 
where people could do business with God. And that's why over 50 people responded and wanted to be baptized because there was an atmosphere that was created by their service. When we thank people, when we encourage them, when we let them know, hey, I really appreciate that. Thank you, that was really helpful. Boy, I, you know, I love the way you bake and, the, and how you bless us. When we say those things to each other, it's an encouragement. It's righteousness doing its thing. It's the fruit of the light. And then truth. Not just intellectual truth, but moral truth as well. The, the idea is, is, is doing what's right. So Paul says, when there's fruit, when the, when the light's working in your heart, that's what will happen. And the goal, of course, is in verse 10, as we read earlier, find out what pleases the Lord. One of the, one of the jokes uh, around here for the 35 years that I was head of school is when I hired a new person, particularly somebody that was going to work in the office with me real closely, I always would bring them in. Usually after we'd go to lunch and I would welcome them to the team, I would say to them, you know, it, it's probably healthy for you to know, you know, what pleases me. Now, I wasn't meaning it hedonistically, although it probably came across that way. What I was trying to say was it's always good in a relationship, especially with a boss, that you kind of get on the same page. Are they a morning person? Should I, you know, inundate them the first thing in the morning? No. <laughs> I used to tell them, you know, my prime hours start about one in the afternoon. Just when you're tipping down, I am ready to go. From one to about six or seven at night, I am in prime time. Well, that doesn't work so good when your assistant is, you know, peaking at six in the morning. And then, you know, by one in the afternoon, they're coming down. So, so that little phrase, you know, find out what pleases, you know, the boss. I'm suggesting that's what Paul says for us. Find out what pleases the Lord. What pleases the Lord? You and I know it. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience. Those please the Lord. Well, uh, Micah says, you know, to, to love justice and, and, and show mercy and walk humbly with your God. That, that pleases the Lord. James says real religion is to care for the widows and the orphans. It, it's not hard to figure it out. And once we have that, that, that sheet that, okay, this is what pleases them, that should be our marching orders. And then verse 14, wake up. So Paul says, you know, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, this is an interesting little, little indentation here. Most commentators believe that what this is is a little piece of a well-known hymn that they were singing at, at that time. And, and Paul throws it in. The concept of waking up, though, that's, that's throughout the Bible. And I put a bunch of the, the verses in your notes. You can spend some time looking at it later. He's saying, look, you're, the, the requirement for, for us to follow God's example and walk in love and then live as children of light, you've got to wake up in order to do that. You can't go through the motions. Believers are not supposed to be on autopilot. There should be a, every day we get up and we start again. Lord, I'm sorry yesterday for this attitude, this, this, that, that. I doubted this. I, I was here. I was there. I showed that. No, wrong, wrong, wrong. No, I'm not going to do that today. Hey, I'm going to head this direction. Wake up. Get up every single day with a new commitment to living as children of light. And then he gives his last one. He says in verse 15 through down verse 20, be careful how you live. Live as wise. And look at, look at, uh, We'll start with verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And he's going to give us five specific things. 
Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Make the most of every opportunity is the first thing he says on how we're supposed to be living carefully. The the idea of make the most, it's the idea of redeeming or buying back. To, to, to take possession of something, to, to have power over something and, and claim it as your own. And, and he's saying, do this with every opportunity, with every little piece of time. Now, time in the Bible is interesting. There's two primary words that are translated in the New Testament time. One of them is chronos, from which we get the word for, for, clock, for watches and clocks, chron, chron, chronographs, chrono, chrono, chronographs, can't get the word out. Um, the chronos word it, it is time, but it's more of a season of time. It's a stream of time. So those of you that have young children, you're in a season of, 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 of toddlers. So there's a, there's a chronos to your life, and that chronos has to do with, with dealing with young children. But those of you, your kids are out of the house, and they're all launched in college and beyond, okay, you're in a different chronos. But there's a second word that's used for time, and it's the one that's used in this passage, and it's kairos. And Kairos has more to do with little individual moments. We might call them teachable moments. Now, when you had your children, let's say they were young enough to still be in your house and young enough to still listen. So you watched for teachable moments, right? There was something that happened. They did something or didn't do something. Something happened around them. There was an example of somebody at a ball game and you got in the car and, oh, here's my chance. It's a teachable moment. Well, that's what Paul's talking about. He said, buy back, redeem, make, make really good use of every teachable moment. Only in this case, it has to do with you. So when circumstances happen and, and you sense that, okay, I could go one of two ways here. I could grow a little or I could revert. I could show, show the spirit of God in my heart or I could get a little fleshy here. It's those moments that are teachable moments. When there's an opportunity to go, okay, I get it, you're right. (laughs) Buy them back. And buy them back for everyone that you influence. Don't let those wonderful moments go by. Don't ignore them. It's fine to have some entertainment. It's fine to hang out with friends. It's fine to laugh. I love to laugh. It's fine to be in the company of people that is encouraging. But, But in there is probably a moment when you can elbow somebody the right direction. Or they can elbow you. When there's a moment when you can direct their attention, don't miss, God might be doing this. That's what he's saying. Make the most of every opportunity. The message, which is not a translation, it is a transliteration, it should be used with, in conjunction with, a really good translation of the Bible. But I like it because from time to time it, 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 it adds some real color to, to a passage. In this particular one, it does. He says, so watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. That's what he means. Make the most of every opportunity. The second thing is, is it says, don't be foolish. The Bible has a ton to say about being a fool. Do you remember uh, who, who called her husband the fool? 
Her husband's name was Nabal. 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 Remember? Yeah, one of David's wives, you know, the one that he gets there and, and she turns and says, my, my husband didn't do these things. And she goes, my husband, the, the fool. Accurately describing his character. But there are a lot of places in the Bible that talk to us about not being foolish or who is a foolish person. I put a bunch of them down. In Proverbs 10, 15, 17, all of those are about children who, who when they're foolish, hurt the heart of their parents. Some powerful verses. But look at chapter 30 of the book of Proverbs. Go to, go to Proverbs and, and chapter 30. Now, Proverbs is a tough book. It doesn't develop itself in you know, kind of a logical fashion, chapter to chapter, section to section. You, you read along and you go, oh, he just changed his thought again. Whoa, he's on another kind. Oh, he's shifted again. Proverbs is tough to, to get your arms around. A suggestion, take one proverb a day. So on the first of every month, you start with Proverbs 1. On the sixth of every month, you're reading Proverbs 6 and so on. There's 31 of them. It works out great. You do that for about six or eight months and suddenly Proverbs starts to shift itself around. You, you're going to see you know, themes running through it will help you with the book of Proverbs. But chapter 30, verse number 32, has something to say about this, this don't be foolish. Thirty thirty-two, He says, if you play the fool and exalt yourself, which is what a fool does, or if you plan evil, well, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> Shut up would be the translation. <laughs> Clap your hand over your mouth. Barb and I were laughing about this this last weekend because he was listening to me get prepared. And so every now and then when I was going to do something schnooky or say something schnooky about somebody or whatever, I'd go. And we had a big laugh about it at our house. Clap your hand over your mouth. I mean, literally sometimes. You know, it's the old, mm, shut up, Sherry, don't say anything. But emotionally, spiritually, in the middle of a conversation, your physical hand doesn't have to go over, but your spiritual hand should. Otherwise, you're going to be a fool. And he says, don't be a fool. Verse 18, he says, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. So, so what is drunkenness? Uh, is it defined by the DMV? Or driving laws? Or a breathalyzer? Point, whatever it is. I don't even know what the points are. But Is that how we define drunkenness? No, I don't think so. I think from a scriptural standpoint... Drunkenness is any time that we are out of control. When we lack our normal level of how you feel right now, if you go past that point, that's what he's talking about. Because the word drunkenness here, uh, or actually the word debauchery, it only leads to debauchery. The word debauchery means an abandonment. So, so when someone is so drunk that they are uh, in a debauched state, they have, they have morally and in every other way abandoned. So the argument, is, can, the argument is not, can I have one glass of wine or two glasses of wine? If it has umbrellas in it, is that not good? Or are, there, are the olives okay? So if it's olives, you're good. Umbrellas, not so good. That is not the point. The point is, don't let anything in pill form, in liquid form, in any form, provide you with a chance to not have full self-control. I know that because he contrasts that in the very next verse with, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't let this stuff control you. 
let the Holy Spirit of God control you. Drinking is a funny thing in our culture. When I first got saved 50 years ago, the church that I got saved in, there is no possible way that anyone would have one sip of alcohol. No possible way. And I remember fast-forwarding until about you know, 20, 25 years later when I was, I was starting Stony Brook and I was down here in South County and I was hanging with a different crowd. Look what you've done to me, guys. But anyway, <laughs> I was hanging with this different crowd. I was actually at a birthday party uh, for someone in a, in a restaurant. And for the first time in my Christian life, someone who I admired, who I knew knew the Lord, ordered a drink. And I remember sitting there going, what are they doing? (laughs) Now fast forward that to today, and I'm making fun of no one, I'm not looking at anyone, so nobody can say I'm talking about them. If I come to your house for dinner, it would be an odd thing if you didn't offer me a a beverage, an adult beverage, as I say. Okay, I'm not on a campaign to say that we shouldn't have adult beverages. I'm on a campaign to say, why bother? And, and if you do, make certain that that why bother never goes past the spot of total and complete personal self-control. Whatever that is. Is that two sips? Is that a half? Is that a quarter of an umbrella? Is it one olive instead of two? I don't know. But that's his point. And he gets to the next one, but be filled with the Spirit. And again, it's a present command. It's in the present tense, and it's a command. Go on being filled. Contrasting that with the alcohol, if you go on being filled with alcohol or a, or drug of some form, and it gets you to the place, you go on with that, there is going to be a repercussion. But when you go on with being filled with the Spirit, ah, that's the direction we want to go. And then he gives a very practical outplaying of that. The practical outplaying of that is speak and sing to each other as well as to the Lord, but, but to each other. And he uses three words. He says, do it with psalms, do it with hymns, and do it with songs of the Spirit. Psalms, the book of psalms, is a, is a, is a compilation of songs. They were meant to be sung. Uh, I remember early on in my Christian life, someone explained that to me, and I went, okay, I should be singing these. Now, you all know I can't sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I have zero musical ability. I could not hear if it was good or bad. Don't even bother to try. Talk to me about keys. It doesn't make any sense. But anyway, I I thought, okay, to be spiritual, I should be singing the psalms. And so I took a psalm. I don't remember which one it was. And I tried for like an hour to come up with some sort of little melody or something, a little tune I could hum along. And I tried singing it. I was by myself, which is really good. And I, and I, I was totally miserable at it. Bad, really bad. Okay, well, I, I can't sing them. I can memorize them. I can think about them. I can read them. I can talk about them. I can't sing them. But hymns, ah, now that's different. What was a hymn when, when Paul was writing? When he was writing, apparently every time the believers got together, Bible studies, small groups, whatever, everybody brought a song that was a reflection of their week. Well, how about if we did that? What, what song, what godly focused song was in your heart this week and you'd like to share it with us? And that's what they did. So they shared the psalms that they were reading and understanding and thinking and for a large, to a large extent singing. And then they went to the next. And let me tell you about this, this, this piece of music that's been running around in my head all week. You said, well, I don't have any of that music running around in my head. Well, then maybe you should start listening to some. You know, it's available all around us. It's available on the radio. It's available on, on all of your devices. You can choose your own. You can let somebody else choose them. They feed your soul. 
And then the third one, songs of the spirit. That's what came spontaneously out of the group. Now that ought to be fun. Who's going to lead us in our first spontaneous song today? <laughs> but they did so because that's the way they both, they both affected each other and showed worship uh, to God himself. When we worship together, when we're not thinking about what we sound like, when we're not thinking about do we know the words exactly right, when we're abandoning our hearts in worship, two things happen. One, we encourage each other. Very much so. And two, we are showing some worship to our, our Heavenly Father. So that's how they were supposed to, to be behaving with each other. And then he ends up in verse 20 saying one more time, always give thanks. So we came to the so what part of the lesson. All that's true. All of that is in chapter 5. But here's some questions to ask yourself this week. Number one, am I imitating God? Am I living a life that looks like the one Jesus lived? Some days, some ways, not so some in others. If you were honest, I think you'd probably answer it that way too. Do I participate in any behaviors or speech that are improper for God's people? Are there some lines I've been crossing? That I could I could do without that. I'm, that ought not to be. Yeah, that's not. It's not building me up. I'm not. Mm. My kids don't need to see me. Whatever. Am I participating in something or a speech that's improper for God's people? If people were looking around saying, well, where's the godly person in our neighborhood and they don't stop at your house, that's a problem. Third one, does my life have fruit, the fruit of light? Is there goodness? Remember, that's that benevolence, that generosity. Is there righteousness? And is there truth? Number four, am I making the most of every opportunity God's given me? Am I, am I sharing with whoever will listen that Christ is the center of my life? I'm following hard after him. I'm failing like mad, but I'm following hard. Am I, am I making the most out of every opportunity? Or am I just filling my life with stuff? And then the fourth one, do I let the Spirit fill me every day? Do I get up with the open hands? All right, Lord, dump all my or, uh, ordinary stuff and I'm asking you to fill me today. May your spirit find me useful. I think that's kind of the, the thrust of the personal commitments that I would recommend this week. Let's pray. Lord, those are tough questions. And if I were being honest, I am making an effort to imitate, imitate Christ, but I fall so far short. This is a powerful section of scripture and Paul's just cut into the chase. So I pray that in each of our own hearts we would do some examining. Maybe when we get in the car on our way out of here or this afternoon in a quiet moment we, we could sit and reflect. And not just stew in it, Lord. Not, not go into a spin of despair but to say, all right, I'll draw a line in the sand and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repent and I'm going to move forward. Because Father, at the end of the day that's what we want. We want you to fill us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.